I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Players' Lounge podcast. I'm Aintilangabini and I'm a distressed Indian citizen. My country is struggling under the second wave of the COVID virus. It has made its way to most of our families. Many of us have not survived. I appeal to you to try and help us in any way that you can, even if it is just keeping us in your thoughts. Our first interview this season is with international superstar Pat Cummings, who generously donated to try and buy oxygen cylinders for the needy. In this time of darkness, we must find the light to unite and help any way we can. Thank you. Before we begin this episode, just a disclaimer that there is some inappropriate language. Um, all from Swanee. Hey everyone, welcome to the Players Lounge podcast. This is going to be a show that's going to be so much fun and yes, we talk cricket as well. We're going to have some of the biggest names joining us and I'm Aintilanga Bini, totally excited about that because our first episode of the season has the world's number 1 test bowler who is donning his Knight Rider jersey this season. Pat Cummins is joining us for the show. We're going to ask him what he thought about being the most expensive overseas buy ever in the IPL auction and a few other things as well. Someone who knows that because he's always been number 1 whenever he's been uh, my guest in the studios is Graham Swan, the number 1 dancer. Almost hard to forget Swanee that you're a pretty good bowler as well, Indian fans 2012. Yeah, let's remind them, shall we? Well, I've completely forgotten that I ever bowled. I'm a dancer full time now, so you know. I say that you know one of the favorite things that's happened in my life is I went on a dancing show and I got paid to go on that dancing show ergo I'm a professional dancer now so there we go Mm. Well, to be fair, Swanee, every time we've done a show together, uh, you've been paid for that show as well, and you dance more than you gave analysts comments. So, to be fair, maybe that's just life now for you. Maybe it is. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get used to the superstardom of you know uh, this celebrity world I live in now, but I'd much rather be talking to you and Pat. Uh, I know it's going to be so much fun. Uh, but speaking on that, you've also been life in hotels, you know, working hard, commentary, but kind of boxed up. How's life been for you so far, Swanee? Life's not too bad. Um, I'm here with Brett Lee, who's one of my best mates. So we have a lot of laugh. He brought his guitar with him. So we find um, it's like being back on the road, back in a changing room. To be honest, um, you have your odd week of isolation, but then you get out in the lounge and you sing, and you forget that the world's falling apart around you. Um, and so we are in a little bubble. We're very privileged, to be honest, and we get to talk about the cricket every night. So things could be a lot worse for me. Yeah, talking about the cricket, uh, Brett Lee, Pat Cummings, fearsome Australian fast bowlers. This is going to be a fun podcast. Ah, oh, yeah. 
So let's get straight into it. Pat Cummings, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, look, how is life in the bubble? Yeah, all well, good here. I've been here about 10 days now. Um, mm. First seven days in quarantine in the room. But um, we've, we've played two games, uh, won the first one, and then, um, yeah, lost the second one. We probably let that one slip. Uh, so all good. Great bunch. Feels like only a few months ago we we're, were back in the UAE playing last IPL. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's good. I mean, Swanee's doing the same thing here. Yeah, I was saying it's good to get Pat on because normally I'm the best-looking bloke in all podcasts and we've got the Zoom chat going here. So I'm going to cede that to Pat in this, on this occasion because, um, you know, I'm just getting tired of all the pin-up attention I'm getting. And I just saw a photo shoot of Pat Cummins. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen of Pat Cummins' lockdown fitness photo shoot on a farm in Australia. That I'm, I'm not joking. I think I... I think I'm in love, Pat. The, the way you were feeding that big black cow, a bit of a bit of grass. Wait, 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 wait. In love with the cow or in love with Pat? Oh, a bit of both. It's a lovely. Oh, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. So d- talk me through that. Is that your normal training re- regimen? Because it looked a little bit like a Ho- OK Magazine type of thing or Hello Magazine. <laughs> that was that was in the middle of lockdown and. Um... Yeah, a, a mate who's a photographer was badgering me for a photo. So I said, all right, come down. And uh, yeah, got a few cows, hand feeding them. Um, I think it was about the only workout I did for a couple of months. <laughs> so, <laughs> turn it on for the cameras. <laughs> well, can I just say, whoever the photographer is, you should make those pictures famous. They should go around the world. They'll do, you'll be massive. Middle of a, mid, Midwest America, you'll have your own ranch in six months, I'm telling you. Wait, Pat, surely they're on your Instagram. I mean, you must have put them up already. Yeah, I put a couple up, yeah. There you go, Swanee. I'm not down with the kids. I, I just go to cricket nets and practice and stuff like that. I'm not down with all these social media platforms. But you know, you know something. Apart from being test cricketers, what both of you have in common right now is that you're pretty much confined to your hotel rooms. I mean, how do you pass the time? Well, for me to pass time, I go on podcasts like this. So mm. that, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be of service for you, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it is different. Um, I think, to, to be honest, in India, um, it's so busy and hectic outside. A lot of the time, you just hang around the hotel, um, and obviously, you know, outside playing and, and game uh, and training. So it's it's not wholly different. I think what's the big difference is the quarantine. Like you just literally are stuck in your room for a week. Um, it's so different. And then no crowds. They're the biggest two difference for me. It's, I'll tell you what I found. that you know, the, the, And Pat will find this in a long time, in about 10 years' time, when you can't play anymore. When you switch from going from a team environment in a hotel, when you've got all your mates nearby, you leave your doors open, you're wandering in and out of rooms playing Xbox. When you start commentating, especially as a, an Englishman to come to India, you don't know anyone, you've got people in hazmat suits ordering your food. There, there is a, there's a new level of loneliness and boredom. There's someone with the, you know, the concentration span of a two-year-old anyway that I've got. I bought, I swear to God, I bought a brand new Xbox to bring with me so I could connect with my son who's back at home. So we'll play Call of Duty against each other. It would be brilliant. A lot of team bonding. And I also thought I could play against Stokesy and Stuart Broad. It'd be like bringing the old playing days back together. Plugged it in day one, didn't work. I sat for two and a half months in a bubble with a broken Xbox. Just honestly, I've never been so 
bored, so fat, <laughs> and so uninfused until the IPL starts. And then it's amazing because we're every day in the studio working on it. And honestly, thank you, Pat, for actually playing some cricket because I covered the England tour where I did 28 days lockdown for five days cricket because England was so bad against India. <laughs> I mean, are you in a situation where your friends and family are receiving more phone calls or video calls from you because you've got nothing else to do and they're just like, can you please stop calling us? Absolutely, yeah, badgering <laughs> them. Yeah, just trying to get a little bit of love back from them. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> different time zones as well. So they wake up normally yeah. in the morning and they've got 20 messages from me. Um, it is funny, like some boys, it, it's so natural. You just hop on PlayStation mm-hmm. and play for hours. But I'm more like Swanee. Like, I love going and hanging out, having a coffee with a couple of boys or yeah, in and out of different rooms, just chilling. So it is weird. Have you? Do the teams have, like just before we came out, you mentioned because you'd lost last night, uh, that you would spend some time with Owen Morgan. I know Owen, Mor- Owen Morgan really well, and I know what spending time at the end of the day means with him, that you wake up dusting the next day. But does the team have like a lounge or a, a team room that they all hang out at after a day's play? Um, like, you know, like this this is the players' lounge, but do you all have sort of sit around, chew the fat and talk cricket with guys from different countries? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got a good setup here. So we've got a big team room, like a pool table, um yeah a few different things going on i'll tell you what is really good actually there's a freezer full of ice creams brilliant so oh, you're kidding um that's yeah, such a good idea i know so like yesterday we're heading off to the ground at whatever 5 p.m and our fielding coach james foster i'm sure you know swanny was like a <laughs> yes. little child getting a little ice cream for his bus trip um <laughs> 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 um but yeah we, we always have a function like it's a bit of a tradition with kolkata um, so after every yeah. game, we always have a um, go downstairs and um, you know have a bit of a food uh, and, and a drink and yeah get together and chat. Uh, so bit of music, bit of dancing if we win. Um, so yeah, we did that last night, uh, and it's it's really good. Like it is amazing how you connect with different players from different cultures mm-hmm. and in terms of cricket, so many different styles of play. Like we've got. You know, Andre yeah. Russell, Sonny Narayan, um, you know, Car- Caribbean boys who play so different to, say, Indian, who play so different mm-hmm. to Aussie. So it's great. You, you, it's it's just a fast-tracking of cricket learning these couple of months, IPL each year. It's a really nice little melting pot. You know, it's great to get that sort of experience, particularly from KKR. It's, you know, a great group of youngsters who I'm pretty sure, Pat, they're learning a lot from you. Yeah, we've we got a great setup here. Um you know, and it starts from, you know, our owners down. It's very relaxed. It's very, um, yeah, just, just a great bunch of people. And, um, yeah, we're, we're really lucky, especially the fast bowling. We've got four or five young guys mm-hmm. who have played under-90s cricket, started to get a taste of you know, international PK debut for India a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they're great to work with. I, I learn more off them than they, you know, can learn off me. I mean, if, if you're 18, 19, you're literally just out of junior cricket and, you know, you hope, most junior cricket is just free and flowing and yeah. take the game on. And yeah, it's just raw. I, I love it. And that's, I think the challenge is you see so many people start off like that. It's trying to encourage them to keep going like that, keep being fearless, 
keep backing that because yeah. you're right. They're twice a player when you when you play with that frame of mind. But were you in that frame of mind as an 18 year old who played like what three first class games? Then you go on, you make your test debut in Johannesburg. Were you in that frame of mind because you took wickets in that game and then you hit the winning runs with the bat? Were you fearless? Oh, I think yeah. I was. I was more. I think uh, it was it's Dale Stain bowling, and I look mm, back at the finish now, and I and I just cringe because I was trying to hit him back over his head. We had ten runs to get, <laughs> and he was bowling 145 kilometers out swingers, and I was trying to hit him back over his head for six. And I just, I look back and I think if I did that now, I would be crucified. Whereas at the time, I was like, ah, oh, if I try and block him, I'll probably get out. Yeah. So I'll I'll just swing the bat, and it and it worked, but. Yeah, you, you just got no inhibitions. You just take the game on. Um, and also, I didn't have much cricket behind me, well, first-class mm-hmm. cricket. So mm-hmm. I was still trying to learn and try new things. So I remember in the game trying to bowl in-swingers that I'd never bowled before. I decided, oh, I'll give this a go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got to try something. So, yeah, fast forward a couple of years and you start thinking about it more. And you think, geez, maybe I should try this what somewhere else before I try it in a test match. <laughs> I remember trying that with a reverse sweep the first time I ever played a reverse sweep. And, and, and I said, it wasn't in a test match, but it was in a first class game. It was for Northamptonshire. We were playing against Yorkshire, and Darren Lehman was bowling. And Darren Lehman is one of the greatest batsmen I've ever seen who could play any shot he wanted at any time. And I remember him running up to bowl and thinking, I bet he'd be impressed if I played a reverse sweep. And I swear to God, in a first-class game, I thought, I'm going to try and impress Darren Lehman because he's a, le- a hero of mine. And so I played this reverse sweep and middled it, and it went for four, and I got a little strong. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I can swear on it, so I'll, I'll change one of the words to fudge. <laughs> he said, you arrogant little fudging idiot. <laughs> and honestly, so my... But the, the, the audacity just to try this, because I was young, dumb, and full of energy, and I just thought, I'm just going to try this. I played it, and my hero, oh, crucified me. And the thing is, the next ball, you'd, if you tried it again, you'd over, you'd be thinking, geez, where did I put my foot? Yeah. Where did I do with my hands? And you'd, yeah. and you'd miss it. Oh, I blocked it for the next two overs. I blocked him. I dead batted him for two overs just to try and get him to like me again. But Swanee, that was beautifully said because that's the thing about your heroes when you're a young cricketer. I mean, Pat, you were 18 years old. People are still trying to figure out like what they want to do in life. And here you are, you're playing test cricket. Walking into their dressing room, seeing your idols. I mean, what were your first conversations with them? That was honestly the best thing about my first kind of taste of international cricket. My first tours mm. was wasn't so much the cricket. It was I was hanging out with, like, I mean, I look back at it now. We had well, Ricky Ponting was there, Michael Clark. Um, you know, Swanee played these guys lots, but they were mm. they were my heroes growing up. Up until, I mean, I, I literally met some of them for the first time just before the tour. <laughs> And suddenly I was, you know, Ricky Ponting, I, I was watching on TV every summer of my whole life. And suddenly I was sitting having dinner and breakfast next to him every single day and hanging out with him. And um, that was the best thing, like, you know, just for a couple of months, learning off those guys, hearing their stories. I was just like a wide eyed fan boy yeah. every day. And I got to play alongside him as well, which was a bonus. But um, that was, that was no doubt the, yeah, I feel so lucky as well, the way they treated me. You know, they're on their thousandth tour, 35 years old, and I was 18 and um, came heaps of time. 
Well, that's the thing. You don't get an instruction manual for all the little things that people will never talk about. So you pick for a tour and you know you just have to tell them to play cricket. You can bat and bowl. That's the bit you know already. But it's stuff like going to a team meeting and it'll be like downstairs at seven in a team meeting and you're in your room going, well, what do I wear for a team meeting? Do I put like full tracksuit on? And who can I text? I can't text one of my all-time heroes going, yeah, g'day, Ricky. Uh, can I wear, what do we wear, number one? And so you end up paranoid about the stupidest stuff getting on the coach which sounds crazy you would never think that but the first time you get on the coach you're like do i get there da- do i get there early do i get there late do i sit at the front do i sit in the middle do i sit at the back yet yeah, because sportsmen are, stu- are superstitious as hell if you steal someone's chair you are d- you're doomed and that's the worst thing you could possibly do all the little things like that make the first tour a, a mix between absolute excitement and absolute hell for me it's terrible. That's so true. I've never, I've never thought about that. It's so true. I remember thinking like, oh, a thong's appropriate for a team meeting. I better put on shoes <laughs> yeah. just to be safe. Or like going to the bus, you're like, do I put my backpack underneath or do I yeah. carry it off? I'll just hang back here a little bit just to see what everyone else is doing. But I remember doing it at breakfast. I remember sitting at breakfast and like trying to casually see what everyone else is eating. Seeing if everyone's allowed to have scrambled eggs. I swear to God. And I looked over and just saw Andrew Flintoff had scrambled eggs of brown sauce and I legged it and got brown sauce and put it. I'd never had brown sauce on scrambled eggs in my life. And I thought, yeah, Fred's doing it. All right, mate. Yeah, yeah, sweet. It's bonkers. What was that one thing that happened for like either of you uh, when you played international cricket that you really didn't expect? I know what mine is. Um, so you turn up at the airport and it's an off terminal check in. So. There's like a press junket before you go on tour. It was for a tour to South Africa, and I was 18, 19. Exactly like Pat. I hadn't met half the team I was about to play with. People like, this is going to age me a bit, I don't care. People like Atherton, Hussain, Stewart, um, Graham Thorpe, Hick. But I'd met, there's no way in the world that I'd even met these. I'd played against two of them. I had to go around introducing myself to them all. I was just this young kid who played under-19s and they got picked because there were no spin bowlers in England, apart from Phil Tufnell. And I just remember being this off-airport check-in and I'm meeting Phil Tufnell, who's known as a bit of a bad boy of English cricket and a bit of a rogue and a bit of a cockney geezer. He's my all-time hero. You can I'm just thinking of the cat. I can't believe this. And so I've had to go up, shake hands with him, say, hi, I'm Graham Swan. And then two seconds later, the press is going, Phil, Phil, can you give him a kiss on the cheek? Can you give him a kiss on the cheek? And, it's, and I'm still there going, what? And there's a picture there somewhere of me in like, I look like I'm in my school uniform and the English tabloids getting, the cat to kiss me on the cheek as if I'm taking him under his wing. And I was just stood there outside this terminal going, what the fuck is going on here? This is like, hideously cringeworthy. And I see that picture every now and again now, and it makes me want to cry. It really does. Because knowing what I know now, I'd have just gone, piss off. You're not doing that. But yeah, off terminal check-ins. Imagine going on holiday and you turn, you don't have to go with the normal people. You just go into a hotel and you give a lovely lady from Virgin Atlantic your passport and she smiles and gives you a little wink that you've never had before in your life because you've never had an England blazer on before and 10 minutes later you've got a business class ticket going oh, there must be a mistake <laughs> no 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 I'm normally in row 67 yeah I, yeah and, and wearing a team suit on a flight I remember as an 18 year old I was like hang on I'm wearing a, a suit on a plane this doesn't sound right <laughs> 
Did you did you do Australia? Let me ask this. I've wondered. So do Australia, you have to get on the plane in your suit. Say say you're going on a big tour, you do a press junket, you get on the plane. Do you then have to get changed into your number two into like tracksuit whilst on the plane? Yeah, yeah. So get on the plane and then literally just swap straight into um whatever you you know, or Qantas pajamas. And then the worst yeah. thing is when you you get off for a stopover in Dubai and you gotta put the suit back on for yeah. like half an hour, get on the next plane, take it off again. Nightmare. <laughs> but imagine but imagine this. So so everyone at home, imagine you booked a flight and you've paid tens of thousands of dollars or pounds to fly to Australia business class with your fa- with your wife. And you're not you're retired, you've had a lovely life, and this is you know, and you get on this plane, you sit down, you've got a glass of champagne, lovely. And you're looking around the cabin thinking, pretty empty today, this is awesome. Suddenly, 28 blokes get on. And even though they've been told, don't get dressed in the open, like wait for a toilet, everyone just quickly rips their shirts off, puts a T-shirt, their trousers, and, throw, and they're all talking. They're completely oblivious to other people rare because it's just like being in a dressing room. I've done it dozens of times. At one point, turned around with a champagne in my hand, just a T-shirt, no trousers on, to talk to Jimmy Anderson and realised that some woman was just stood there, eye level with my junk, <laughs> thinking, oh my God, what am I doing here? Imagine those poor people going on holiday. You know what I find so amazing? You had your first test match. And then not to be specific, but you have to wait, what, five years, three months, 27 days before you play your next test match. Look, I know you've spoken about this innumerable times, but how did you keep it going? Did you keep the faith? Did you think you'd give up? I mean, what was going on? Oh, I mean, it was hard because test is, you know, my, my favorite format. Growing up, that's the you know, mm. format I love watching the most. And that's where you feel like the best contests are, are kind of won. And, yeah, I'd got a taste of it. You know, I'd played one test, loved it. Was, yeah, I was playing with guys who had played 150 test matches, legends of the game. So yeah. I was like, well, I've, I've achieved nothing. I've, you know, I've played one game. Just desperate for, you know, starting to start off the career. And, yeah, didn't play for four or five years. So... I was lucky. I played, you know, quite a bit of white ball cricket um, for Australia in that time. But, um, yeah, just my body just wasn't ready for, for mm. test cricket. So I felt ages away for years. Um, and then, yeah, slowly but um, kind of surely, yeah, started to get – just started to mature into my body a little bit. And then, um, yeah, played that second test, which was, was great. My first test was in South Africa, you know, fast wickets, swinging ball, um, great for fast bowlers. Second test match was at Ranchi and we were in the field for 220 odd overs. So, welcome back. Pat, you say it so nonchalantly, oh, my second test, but you weren't even initially part of that squad. You had to be called in. Were you expecting that call? I mean, you're home, you're watching the match, and suddenly you're flying into Ranchi. Yeah, I flew in a couple of days before the test. It was, I I knew I was kind of a reserve player. Mm -hmm. Um, The main reason being, I hadn't played first class cricket in something like two or three years, like literally hadn't played a first class game. So um, while that series went on, I played a second 11 game because I'd only been playing white ball. So, I, you know, played a second 11 game, bowled, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 overs. And then the next week I played a, a Shepherd Shield match. Um, and that was the plan to kind of build up. Well, I finished mm. the Shepherd Shield match the day that um, I think their test match finished and Starkey, I knew Starkey had an injury. And then Smithy, who was captain, I remember walking on for field and he was texting me like, oh, how'd you go? Um, 
And then he's literally like, yep, yeah, get your passport ready. You're coming over. And that was the first time I kind of thought Test cricket was even on the horizon. I, I thought, you know, I, I was six months away um, from being back in the frame. I'll tell you what I like about that, though. The fact that, because like, a lot of people wouldn't know that as well. The fact that you have a little text message from the Australian captain saying, how are you going? Yeah, yeah, quick, right, you're coming. Because so before I played sport or anything, I often wondered things like that. How, how you find out how things go. And do, uh, please indulge me a second because it's one of my favourite stories. When Duncan Fletcher got the boot from England cricket, which signalled that I might get the chance to play again because he detested me and he would never have picked me. <laughs> but he got the boot. And then uh, Peter Moore took over. And one thing about, about your career is time and place. If the guy in charge happens to be a fan of yours or you've done well against him before, you've got more chance of playing. That's Especially in England when there's about a 1,000 players. But Peter Moore took over. And the, t- the one county that I'd always done well against, me and Ryan Sidebottom had always done well against Sussex. And that's where Peter Moores had gone from to the England job. So he picked uh, Ryan Sidebottom in the one-day series against India. And England won, and it was dead exciting. One of my best mates back playing for England. This is brilliant. But I honestly didn't think I was anywhere near the team. I'd written it off. I was enjoying my county life. I was carving out a podcast future like this. It was great. Life was rosy. <laughs> But then, but then City told me that they all sat in the change room. They finished the series against India, and David Graveney, the chief of selectors, walks in and says, "Lads, the touring party to go to Sri Lanka is being uh, announced in two days' time. It's this team in this room, and Swanee Graham Swan's being added to it. But please don't tell him if you know him. Don't tell him. I want to do it, and it's got to be." Properly, and so everyone went. Yeah, no problem. Siddy immediately ran to the toilets with his mobile phone. And went, Swanee, you'll never guess what. You're in team. You're coming to Sri Lanka. But when he phones you up, pretend you don't fucking know. Please pretend you don't know. <laughs> and so, so two days later, I'm sat at home, and my I've been told, don't go out. You're going to get a phone call tonight, and it's Saturday night. And my wife or my girlfriend at the time is sat there ready to go out for a meal, and I'm going. We're not going out. We're not going out. The last time this bloke phoned me up to tell me I've been picked for England, I was in a nightclub. I was an 18-year-old in a nightclub dancing to Bon Jovi. I am not being out tonight when he phones up. And so I completely blew off date night with my missus to sit there while the last night of the proms was on the telly. It's just brilliant. I love that memory. Good old Siddy. Don't go out whatever you do. You're in team. <laughs> it, it, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Like, I remember, like, say there, Smitty texted me because he's, you know, one of our good mates. And he's like, yeah, uh, cracker hour, selector, Mike Coy. So pretend, act surprised, act surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people, though, you know, like in the movies, who go, shut up, who is this? Get away, who is this on the phone? Unbelievable. How many people? I reckon a good 20% of people, when they get their first call up, don't believe it's the chairman of select and just go, fuck, no, shut up, and slam the phone down. Um, so that was before my first test. I, I played one one-day game when I was 18. When I was, I was picked on the tour just because I'd done well in the under-19s. I was nowhere near ready, like mentally as well. I was shaking like a big dog. I just didn't want to play. I thought, I'm not good enough for this. And then years later when I got back in, so I was 28 by that stage and I played over, probably to over 200 first-class games. And then suddenly I was playing and I actually thought, this is, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm an off spinner. I'm not going to play any test cricket. I'm just, or I might play two or three games in India every time we tour. 
I'm just going to enjoy it and play, treat it like a club game. Best thing in the world that happened to me. Good old city. You know, I like the way you mentioned that you felt you weren't ready when you came back for what was your second test. Because it's amazing as a fast bowler sometimes when you're mentally ready and you just feel like your body is betraying you. How did you come back from those injuries to go on to become the number one test bowler in the world? Yeah, I think you can be as prepared as you want to be. It's still a leap. Mm-hmm. Like you're still jumping into something that you haven't done before. Um, so until you, you've actually played test cricket, you, you don't, you can't judge whether someone's going to survive or not. I think mm-hmm. um, it takes time for me. I mean, those four or five years that I didn't play, they weren't wasted. Like I, you know, as I said, I was still able to play international cricket. So I didn't feel like it was a huge jump up. Um, and I, I, I certainly felt more prepared. Uh, you know, I felt like my action um, and everything was a bit more sustainable. Um, yeah, I kind of got my head around touring more and spending time away mm-hmm. and, and getting to the rhythm of, of international cricket. So, um, of course, it's still a jump jump up, but you just try and do set yourself up as best as you can so that once you step over the the, um, rope and you're on the field, you just, your competitiveness just takes over and your instinct and everything else that you've been doing since a kid. So um, I was lucky and we've, you know, always got some great people around us. Um, Yeah. In in our setup for me, two of my best mates, Joshy Hazelwood, Starkey, they were there and kind of always, I guess, 15, 20 tests ahead of me. Um, So I, I learned a heap off them bowling alongside them for, you know, coming back into test cricket as well. They, they were brilliant. I'll tell you what I like the sound of there is that the um, the, the bowlers, when you see your best mates, Josh Hazelwood and Starkey, like it, it, any team I've ever played in, the fast bowling group is always close-knit. It's always tight. And I reckon you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but there's like a shared hardship that batsmen just don't get because I will not have it ever that batting is hard work. You sweat, yeah, you get warm, but it's not a hard physical yak yet. You're just out there concentrating, for Christ's sake. But bowling, especially if you're bowling in a hot country on a hard wicket, is physically ridiculous on the body, having to wake up. Is that, do you reckon that could be one of the reasons why there's like a brothership, a kinship between fast bowlers? I reckon that is bang on. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like when you get back in the change room or you... Always sit together in the change room. Yeah, of course. Well, we're, we're the only sensible ones as well. Um, <laughs> the only ones that talk sense. Uh, but but you, you get back, you know, to the physio room, whatever it is at the end of the night, and it's like, all right, we're hurting. And you kind yeah. of, as you said, it's shared hardship where no the batters don't get and they're just, they're complaining that they've got, I don't know, some kind of... Exactly. But you hear them giggling or laughing in their bedrooms or moaning about a bad decision. And everyone just, fast bowlers just roll their eyes, look at each other and go, what, what, the, what are they talking about? It's the easiest job in the world. Oh, I've got to concentrate. Oh, I got hit on the arm. Oh. You know, the worst thing is when you're out in the field for 90 overs, you just bowled into the ground and you just, you feel like you've achieved something for the day and you've put everything into it. And then you see the batters come off the field and they're jumping around, they're laughing, they're talking. You're like, one, where was this energy on the field? And then they'll, yeah. they'll be like, you know, well, I might run home today. I was like, oh, I might go for a run when I get back to the hotel today. You just want to punch him in the face. But have you ever spoken your mind and said, listen, you don't understand what I go through. I mean, you're pretty handy with a bat, so you can kind of understand that side of the situation. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you stand there and you, you might run 20 metres occasionally. Yeah. But it, it's... it's that They... The, the best one is, is when you speak to all-rounders. So Mitch Marsh, mm. I remember um, 
he uh it was against England. We played a um Ashes test match in Perth and Smithy and Marshy both scored heaps of runs. I think Smithy got a double hundred, Mitchie got one eighty or one ninety. And it was pretty hot, but Smithy came off and he said he's like, oh, I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked. Are you wrecked, Marshy? Marshy's like, No, I'm good. I'm good. He's like but uh Smithy goes, That's much harder than bowling, eh? Like like we've batted for four sessions in the sun. What do you reckon? That's <laughs> That's harder than batting. Uh, that's harder than bowling. And Marshy goes, mate, in the first innings, I bowled three overs. That was way harder than the last six hours we just had batting. <laughs> and I just remember Smithy had the most confused look on his face. Just couldn't fathom it. Did you just go over and give Marshy a hug? Good on you, mate. Oh, well yeah. One of us. Well done. But I love it. I, I like within a change room, even the most united and happy change room, there's still going to be like batsmen versus bowlers. The, uh, one of my favourite times playing for England... And this might be a painful memory to Australians, but you weren't playing, Pat. You were only a youngster at the time. But in Brisbane, 2010 Ashes, where we got hammered in this game, um, and we had no right to get out with a draw, but we went and got 517 for one in the second innings to save the game. So Alistair Cook, Andrew Strauss, Jonathan Trott, the easily the ugliest three batsmen who've ever played the game, but they were gold dust. They were gold dust because they batted this long. But I remember... So we, we, bought, we bought Australia out fairly cheaply, but Hus got a good 100. And then we knew, we sort of trudged off the field going, oh, here we go. Another one of these ashes, 5-0 in Australia, shit. But me, Jimmy and Brody, thick as thieves. And we just, we had about an hour till the end of play on day three. So we put towels down on the floor and there's a TV in the changing room. We had the sound off and we had shorts and flip-flops, thongs on and just sort of lay there. Sort of not saying anything, just sort of lay next to each other and go, oh, oh, God, it's cricket's hard. But then two and a half days later, we were still lying in the same position when we were 480 for one. Superstition meaning we cannot move. That is possibly the happiest two days I've ever spent in my life. Next to two grown men just giggling like little kids. <laughs> and every time the, the room attendant would come in and go, have we lost the wicket yet? No. Hey! Oh, it's just pathetic. But it was amazing. And I, I tell you what, that's, these are the things you miss. They're, they're the things I miss being in a bowling group. And every time a batter would come in and they'd go, ah, oh, yeah, can I come and join you? No, get out. Nothing to do with you. Get out. You know, Swanee, you can help me out with this because I've grown up watching these fearsome Australian bowlers who have this aggression and attitude and they're in your face and they're spitting fire. And you got someone who's number one right now and he's probably like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So is this just you or is this how Australian cricket is involved? Oh, I think it's probably me. Um... <laughs> Boom. But I tell you, what, a lot of it must be because of IPL, because of the mixing of players around the world and you actually, you actually get to know people. And so a lot of the like, supposed aggression and the stories and after dinner stories, they're bullshit. They, they never happened. A lot of them, they're brilliant. They're hilarious. Like the Merv Hughes stories, they may have happened because Merv used to ground, spit, fire everybody. But since I was, but honestly, because especially with England, Australia, this is, there's this perpetuated myth that the teams hate each other and there's a load of abuse between each other. That's, that's garbage. Yes, you're always going to have one or two players who aren't very popular with the opposition. They're not very popular in their own change rooms, if truth be told. But because you play against people and because you know them, the higher standard of cricket you play, the less is said on the field. So if you go down test cricket, I barely had a word said. 
first class cricket every now and again but the, the, the only sledging you get one if someone nicks one and doesn't get given out his parentage gets questioned for half an hour and then everyone forgets it that, but that's it if you get down to league cricket or grade cricket, it is disgraceful. It is like personal abuse. It's people basically picking fights with each other because they think that England and Australia do it on TV. We have to bust this myth. It doesn't happen. The one, to, the one Australian fast bowler I heard say anything was to... Doug Bollinger played in the game at Adelaide when he was called into the Ashes... And one of the papers had said, like, oh, this is great because Doug will give it to him. Like, this team's weak. Peter Seedle just bowls. He doesn't sledge. And Dougie said one thing in the first over and just got shut down. Ricky Ponson just said, just shut up and bowl. So just get on with it. And it's like, and you can see him, like, like his little crushed face. He's grown up listening to stories of Murph Hughes and all this, like I did, apparently. And you just go, oh, right, so you don't say anything. I'm not saying that no one says anything, because obviously Jimmy Anderson just grunts and moans at everyone. Lovely lad, but on the field, he's miserable. But it's just, and like David Warner just stands at point, moaning at everyone. But that's it, that's your one player from each team. It's not like the all-out warfare that people think it is. Oh, exactly. And like, as you said, like you've either played county cricket or IPL with most of them or just played against them a hundred times before. So yeah. it, it's, it's, I don't know, for me, it's, it's more, I feel like I've played enough to know that it's a waste of energy and I, I, yeah. it, it, it hinders me more than it helps for most mm. people. Occasionally you might, you might see, um, yeah, sense with a bat- batter if you kind of ramp it up and, and get in their face, maybe it might affect them, but if you're playing international cricket, I mean, you'd hope that they are better than that and, and kind of find a way past that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So I've got to ask you this because here on the Players Lounge podcast, there are three questions that we ask everyone. And the first one is, you know, what has been the proudest moment in your career? I'll say two. Um, I'll say test debut 
and play alongside mm-hmm. all those you know great players. Um, and the other one would be Cricket World Cup in 2015, yeah. um, which I was in the squad. I actually didn't play in the final, but for me that was awesome. Like MCG mm-hmm. packed house. Um, yeah, so much history in World Cups. You know Australia has so to be kind of there in the mixer for all that was was unreal. Is there one wicket that you've particularly enjoyed or is there one that you're looking forward to? Uh, I'd say, you know, in my first test getting, you know, the Jairus Callis, I think yeah. when you get a grade of the game, you know, he's played 160 test matches, been around forever, still at the you know, peak of his powers. Talk us through the wicket. Talk us through your memories of that wicket. Um, so I think he got like 50 off 40 balls in the first innings, um, smacked them. So he came in in the second innings and came on to bowl. And I just remember thinking, all right, we've got to do something here because he was, you know, a powerhouse for him. Yeah. Uh, and so I just thought I'll, I'll be super aggressive here. So I, I just remember thinking, 18-year-old kid, wicket's fast. I've got nothing to lose here. So I just went super aggressive, bounces, bounces. Had a few slips in place um, and just – yeah, one of those spells where everything just feels like it's coming out beautifully. His ball started to swing. And after about 15, 20 balls, um, a few player misses, he just nicked one to um, Michael Clark at first slip. And I, that was just the – I just thought, okay, that wasn't just a one-off. We've had – you know, yeah. I've, I've had 20 great balls, bowled as well as I could have at one of the great players, got a wicket. I just remember having so much confidence um, after that. So this is one I'm going to ask both of you, and you can come back as a different sports person, male or female. Who would it be? Well, I've just been watching a lot of the Masters golf, so I'd, mm. I think I'd love to be a golfer. I mean, I, I mean, we've got a great lifestyle as cricketers, but you look at them. Mm. They fly around mm. all the time, different city, different you know week, play, play golf for four days. If you don't play well, you get two days off. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it, it, this is a timely question, I reckon, whatever – time of the year it would be a different player because around about Wimbledon time I'd say Roger Federer because it's the Masters as soon as you said it I was exactly like Matt um, Pat I thought Masters golfer without a doubt where the Ryder Cup sound I mean the Ryder Cup is a massive thing in Europe and America it's not anywhere else in the world but without a doubt I'd be Sergio Garcia but I reckon if cricket, cricket wise if I could come back as anybody I always wanted to be a wicket keeper I've no idea why I just, I loved fielding at Slit. I loved being behind. And I just think being a keeper, especially in England or Australia, where you stood back nearly all the time, you're talking to your mates, you pretend it's really hard work and you're concentrating on, yeah, I'll do 600 squats a day. It's not. Come on, you're catching the ball. Yeah, your fingers might get sore, but you've got big gloves on. When it's cold, you're warm because you've got gloves on. Wicket keeper all the way. Matt Pryor, please. I'll be him. Batting number six, going when the ball's soft. Do a bit of keeping. I never beat the bat anyway, so he didn't have to worry about missing any stump pins. It was perfect. Okay, Pat, you know what? Uh, everyone who's had a chance to look at your hand will know that you're missing a fingertip. So we've got to hear the story again. So when I was four years old, I uh, went to preschool. I, I'm, I've got uh, two brothers, two sisters. So a family friend dropped me home and uh, gave me five lollipops, one for me, one to give out to my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got home, I was running around the house, giving it to one brother and my sister was in the bathroom. And for some reason, I just opened the door up a crank, like cranked it a little bit and put my hand through and was waving the lollipop to show her that I had a lollipop for her. 
Well, she's come and slammed the door as hard as she could. Middle finger straight off. <laughs> do you do you remember that? Do you remember the do you remember the immediate sort of shock and like blood spurting everywhere? I just remember holding it and just running down the hallway screaming for mum oh and blood was just pissing out. And uh and, and what's your sister's name who did it? Laura and she was mortified. Absolutely Laura. mortified. Can't believe yeah. it. Yeah, she's still like if you bring it up today, she it's funny. It's the thing I've is though, you'll never sneak in the bathroom on a woman again. <laughs> no, I learned my lesson. <laughs> Let's learn. So I went to hospital that night, had surgery to tidy it up or whatever it was. And um, mum tells a story. She was there and she was panicking. She thought, you know, I was four years old. Oh, no, he's never going to get a girlfriend. A girlfriend's <laughs> never going to want to hold his hand. Like, you know, at, at kindergarten, walking down the staircase. Anyway, dad was there and apparently had a remote control and he was flicking up and down. Mum's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just making sure he can still bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That was four years old. Mum had her priorities. Dad had his. Oh, good on you, Dad. I love that. But obviously, because you grew up with it, did you have to change anything? Did it affect your action? Because I know now that your forefinger is probably the last point of release rather than the middle finger, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was so young, so I, I know nothing different. But um, yeah. certainly the, the way I release it's slightly different to mm-hmm. you know some of the other guys. Like a, an outswing is a little bit, Mm. harder to wrap around than um some other guys might do it i reckon it's cost me a leg cutter um <laughs> but laura's cost you 200 wickets here i know swanee have you ever had anything like that happen to you i'll I tell you the, the one bizarre weird injury i had playing cricket when i was about nineteen twenty. i was at northamptonshire and i remember standing up in the change room i'd just taken my boots off and there was like a sudden sharp pain ow what if I stood on there? And I looked around, and there was nothing on the floor. So I thought, oh, well, I've, I've obviously kicked a rock or something. Ten years later, I got hit on the big toe playing a county championship match against Yorkshire by the same guy, Ryan Seibart, who I talked about earlier, but playing against him, broke my big toe, and I walked off going, oh, Jesus. So I was sent off to the hospital for an X-ray. And when the X-ray came back, the, the doctor said, have you ever stood on anything metal before in your life? And I went, What? And I was trying to think back, and I thought, there was one time I couldn't, I was a bit confused. I had, like, a sewing needle embedded in my foot. And it's deep. It's in the middle of my left foot. And I never knew it. It was there for 10 years. It doesn't hurt. It's dead. If I go through an X-ray now, it's there as clear as a bell. You know, the tiny, like, sewing needle with the, with the hole in the end. It's still there in my left foot. No, it's, it's embedded. In the middle of my foot, and the place said, "Well, if it's not hurting, we'll just leave it there." So I bing every time I go through the um, metal detectors at the airport. I've got, I've got. To... But yeah, that was so. That's the only bizarre thing that's happened to me. Really similarly, uh, Mitchell Johnson in my first test, um, he got turf toe. So he's, you know, he's, he was hobbling around everywhere, and they went and got scans, and he had metal in his toes. And they're like, <laughs> what? "It was exactly the same." It couldn't explain mm. it. Had no idea. Had it forever. Well, it, it, it certainly explained why Mitch could bowl so quickly. It's like superhuman powers. But, I mean, it didn't exactly make me a quick runner, this you think, in my foot. Listen, guys, it's time for our Dare to Declare segment. This is brought to you by Betway, and we try and talk about the hot topics. So it's uh, the IPL this time. And, Pat, 
I'm pretty sure you've been asked this question so many times. How did it feel when you were the most expensive overseas buy in the IPL ever? Yeah, I mean, crazy. It was, it was awesome. Um, it, the first thing I actually remember, well, my first memory that I kind of got nostalgic with was uh, when that happened was I remember watching the first IPL game, Brendan McCullum hit 150 yeah. odd or whatever it was. And I remember sitting at home, um, whatever it was, late at night or early in the morning, watching that and thinking, wow, imagine playing the IPL. This is like these people go over there playing in front of these crowds get paid big money mm. that is just how good that be and that was my first thought i remember when i got picked up this year um you know back to that 12 or 13 years previous but yeah i mean awesome and and what a great side as well i, I played a couple of years with Kolkata a few years back so yeah um as much as anything pumped to team up with yeah the old crew and then you know new guys here like brendan mccallum and owen morgan who um you know i'd spent a bit of time with but but not a heap is there a pressure that comes with the price tag or, you know, does it come from outside forces like commentators like Graham Swan who just can't let it go? <laughs> I mean, there's pressure whenever you play. I, I actually yeah. felt more of a, it wasn't, I, I felt like I had nothing to prove to anyone else. It was more just, mm. I was like, Kolkata have, have spent this much money on me and invested it. I just really want to do well for them. Like, you know, they've, sure. they've looked after me. Um, they're, they're backing me so I just felt like a, a responsibility more, more like a pressure just really wanting to to to, to show um, show them that it was you know the right call so that was probably my the pressure I put on myself as opposed to any outward um, mm. yeah pressure I felt I tell you what, there's a big thing about it now though isn't there because Chris Morris has suddenly gone for I mean he's dwarfed everything before him and I saw an interview he had the other day where he mentioned it 10 times in the fact that it doesn't, uh, no, it doesn't bother me how much money I've got for. I, I don't think about how much money I've got for. I mean, it's other people who've spent the money. It's not me who's spent this money. And you could see him like, ah! it, it, like, and I was just thinking then, but last year, Pat, you were bowling well and bowling fast, but the first three or four games, I couldn't get a wicket. Were you thinking, I've jinxed this? I've jinxed this by getting so much money. I, and like, you know, T20 cricket, like it's, you hope it all evens out after, you know, whatever, 10, 20, 30 games. But, geez, I wanted a wicket there for a couple of games. Because, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, as soon as you get that price tag, that's the only thing you judge yeah. against by everyone else. So, yeah, you can bowl well, you can not go for many runs, but they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm taking a wicket. But the ideal thing is, like, a, sort of a year, two years on, you're still on massive wedge and then no one's looking at you anymore, so you can just go under the radar and get back to being good old Pat. So the Lamborghini takes care of itself and, uh, and you can get wickets. So there we go. That's the dream. Anyway, Pat, let's do some quick fire predictions. Now, don't even think about it. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Who is going to win this tournament? Okay. Uh, Your tournament MVP? Uh, besides me. Um, uh, I'll say uh, Andre Russell. Okay, nice. Okay, who is the most underrated player in the IPL? You know, in India, we like to say, like, Chupa Rustam, he's hidden and then shows up with his talent later. I, I like, um, I, I mean, I've, I'm going mainly Kolkata plays here. I'm going to go uh, Varun Chakrabaki. The orange cap? I'll say Varun. No, he, <laughs> orange cap's batting, isn't it? Uh, I'll say Shubman Gill. 
What about the purple cap? Now you can say Pat Cummings. It's all right. Varun. Since you have so many young players, especially in KKR, who is going to be the best young player of this tournament? I'll say maybe PK. Would you still say um, proceed? Um, you know, he's, I think he's only played one or two games for India. Yeah, yeah. Still quite young. Um, yeah, he's bowled well the first couple of games. So I'll, I'll say him. All Calcutta players I've mentioned. We're not shocked at all, Pat. We love your loyalty. Swanee, are you good with Pat's answers? I'm good. They were nearly all exactly the same as mine. Um, although mine mine had more of a Rajasthan tilt to it because I'm a, I'm, yeah, I've declared myself a Rajasthan Royal Super fan. I'm absolutely scared stupid. Now Stokes has gone home. So KKR are definitely my second team because A, you've got Owen Morgan, the greatest captain in world history because he turned England from possibly the worst one-day team I've ever seen, and that was the one I played in, into the world champions, all thanks to Morgie and Brendan McCullum. And the fact they've got Pat, who's possibly the nicest man in the world. So KKR all the way for me now. What about you, Swanee? When you see someone like Pat Cummings, what are you expecting for him in this tournament? And, you know, you can say to his face. For, for this tournament, I'm expecting... Well, OK, without putting any pressure on, I'm expecting you to single-handedly carry the bowling attack, pull off some remarkable diving one-hand catches, and then smack, smack your team out of trouble with the bat at the end. Failing that, I will take one of the three. So the, the purple cap, please. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Well, how exciting was that for the first podcast and episode of this season in the Players' Lounge podcast to have Pat Cummings, uh, Swanee. What a great guy, actually. Did you have fun? I did. I'm not sure how we're going to top that, to be honest, man. He was amazing. It's, it's unusual to come across an Australian. I know we, we knew he was good looking anyway, but he's also highly intelligent. I'm never letting ah, him meet my Swanee's wife. Swanee's still harping on that in that photo shoot, are we? Yeah, he's never meeting my wife, I tell you that much. <laughs> Well, we had a lot of fun with Pat Cummings and Graham Swan joining us on the Players' Lounge uh, podcast. You can, of course, catch these episodes on YouTube. Yeah, listen out for the podcast. Follow us on our social media handles and make sure you look out for those Betway segments because we're going to be asking all our guests some really, really fun questions. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Looking forward uh, for you to keep us company this season. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.